Hello and welcome to Schlock Tactics. We believe that the B in B-Movie should always stand for bad and aim to watch cinema's bottom feeders from the lower half of IMDb so you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined by Mark. Oh, hi Mark. Oh, hi Ash. And uh, today we are celebrating the recent wonderful news from the Korean Peninsula that North Korea and South Korea have finally stopped fighting with each other. They're back on good terms. They've shaken hands, held hands and everything is well again. So we are going to celebrate that by watching two of the finest or not so fine kaiju films from North Korea and South Korea respectively. If you don't know what kaiju means, kaiju is a subgenre of monster movie mostly from Japan which is basically blokes punching each other while dressed in rubber monster suits. Probably all heard of Godzilla or seen Godzilla. Two films we're going to talk about today are very much inspired by Godzilla and the success of Godzilla in the 50s and the 60s. Now, Mark, you actually haven't seen uh, any kaiju films before, the two we've just watched, have you? Nope, not one. This is your first exposure to the kaiju genre, possibly the only Westerner who's seen Polgasari and Yongari before Godzilla. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of the, the genre and the kind of concept of a kaiju film? It always intrigued me. I wasn't really sure how broad the genre would be there being a big monster and there being lots of people terrified of it. It was pretty broad in these two films. Yeah. Between, from one to the other. It's, uh, it's usually sci-fi, but, but not necessarily on, on in these two yeah. films. I was curious as to, as to how a, a genre could be so broad when there's a mm. monster mm. and lots of people terrified of said monster. Mm-hmm. Interested in seeing how the monster looked, set pieces, things like that. And also, yeah, you understand. Obviously, not you haven't seen Godzilla, but you understand it's it's a very p- political film where yeah. Godzilla represents nuclear technology and stuff. And we just watched two films where there was also a sort of a political agenda, less so in one, maybe more so in the other. Quite confused in in both, but yeah. kaiju films have always been a, a kind of way for the, uh, people to get across a political point using a giant rubber monster which, which is great so uh, as I mentioned there are two films we are going to be reviewing today are Yong Gary from South Korea and Paul Gasari from North Korea we'll go for Yong Gary first so this was a film made in 1967 directed by a guy called Kim Ki-duk produced it in South Korea at the height of, of Godzilla's success the original Godzilla came out in 1954 but by uh, the sort of mid to late 60s it was at its absolute height and most family friendly as well so that is when South Korea decided to jump on the bandwagon and create Young Gary uh, what were your first impressions of, of Young Gary the film or the character <laughs> <laughs> Both are very pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of tell that there was meant to be Godzilla, you know, and they haven't seen Godzilla, but you yeah. you could tell it was meant to be that, couldn't you? Yeah. I didn't see the monster until quite a way in, which was kind yeah. of expecting anyway. That is kind so, of common with kaiju films. Yeah. They hold off on the monster, which is kind of good. Yeah. Although it didn't look great when it did finally appear. But we'll get on to that. So, really, young Gary opens, it's sort of centred around a family, really, isn't it? Like yeah. a, a married couple, a little kid called Icho, who is kind of a mischievous little shit in the film, which is kind of a trope of, of kaiju films, especially in the 60s. A naughty young boy will somehow figure out how to defeat the monster and he'll know more than all the scientists put together, which is kind of what they did in the 60s with with kaiju films with a light ray in this film yeah so in the in the early portion of the film he 
pulls a prank on the on the newly married couple or maybe some of the guests. I couldn't figure out who it was, but the, he shines some sort of light ray on them and it makes them itch, and that that does play in play into the film later on, doesn't it? Very briefly, <laughs> <laughs> for comedic effect only. I, I think it was so. I, I thought it was like the equivalent of a laser pen. Yeah. In, in more recent years, he basically a little kid with a little device that you could shine on people just to wind them up and be a little shit. So mm. that's our that's our little child character Icho, and he 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 will come up uh, with different ways to annoy people and also um, save save the world from this monster. But the uh, the the husband in this of the newlyweds, I believe, he's he's some sort of scientist, some sort of rocket man, and his father-in-law is uh, works in the headquarters of the rocket place i couldn't yeah. couldn't quite figure out what they were doing there's quite a lengthy scene where um this this guy this uh, scientist rocket scientist gets launched into outer space and this is when you start to see some miniatures come into play yeah because i felt like he was flying through space in like a kitchen funnel it looked like and there was a ridiculous rocket at one point i just <laughs> burst out laughing at that was the that was probably the first miniature you've seen though if you hadn't seen a kaiju yeah. film so it would look very weird if you hadn't <laughs> seen that before but also funny and it does look like he was floating through space in a funnel this scene featured the word capsule more than any other scene I've seen in, <laughs> in cinema I think the the guy who had all the dialogue was the father-in-law and he was just shouting at his, his son-in-law through the radio just repeating the same capsule capsule can you hear me capsule capsule are you there like, probably you could just call him by his name but yeah. he, he wanted to use the word capsule repeatedly and that kind of annoyed me but um, the thing I found most funny about this is that they they called this guy in the middle of the night to say we need to launch you into space yeah. in a rocket and he was like oh I've just got married but drag okay. you away from your honeymoon <laughs> I think his wife had other ideas but he he was like okay well you can launch me into space and as soon as they launched him into space in the rocket everyone seemed to sort of go what do we do now yeah and they were like I don't know why they launched him into space. I don't know what they were planning to do when he got up there, but he got up there in his rocket and sort of went, oh, shit, how do I get back down again? <laughs> and the, the ground control were also saying, how do we get him back down again? And, and it, I thought they would have thought about this ahead of time. And his wife just seemed distraught that they couldn't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> she was looking for a different rocket, obviously. <laughs> but, so he's floating about in space. Sort of, uh, He doesn't seem to know what he's doing for a rocket scientist. He, yeah. wants, he should come back down. He? So he does land again. But whilst he's in space, uh, sort of super earth earthquake starts mm. in Korea doesn't seem related no (laughs) (laughs) the super earthquake starts they refer to it as a moving earthquake at one point which i thought was fun i I thought that was sort of a a feature of an earthquake was that it would move the super earthquake starts and this is what initially dislodges young gary from uh from wherever he was his resting place he was sleeping which does happen in the godzilla films godzilla's usually awoken from some sort of iceberg or volcano or or Mm. something like that and this is this is all complete with I thought quite good sci-fi noises and music. Yeah. Sort of... Yeah. Typically ominous, tacky sci-fi yeah. noise. It wasn't quite 50s. It was slightly removed from that, but I still thought it was quite good. Mm. There's a scene shortly after this where a uh, there's two guys driving in a car. I think during the earthquake, they suddenly veer off the road and tumble down the side of a mountain. Oh, yeah. In which, case, in, in which case, it immediately cuts to a little tiny toy car catching fire and rolling down the road, which I thought really undermined the death of these people, even though they were 
bit parts. Uh, I thought that was very funny. They were just tumbling down the mountain yeah. in a toy car. <laughs> so shortly after this earthquake starts, I thought it escalated really, really quickly because all of a sudden they were evacuating the, the city they were in. Mm. There's a guy in the street screaming for everyone to repent. Oh, yeah. There's buildings kind of crumbling around everyone. There's pe- people falling over en masse all at the same time. Where I guess what, what happens when there's an earthquake is everyone falling over at the same time. And then that's when you see the monster interacting with real human beings and they use the kind of rear projection technique of the 50s where you know the monster isn't actually there with the people but he's there, there you know the screen on screen but I, mm. I thought they had kind of issues with the scale I couldn't quite tell how big this monster was meant to be because the people seemed to vary how big the people were and how big he was so I thought that was kind of a inept especially since the buildings were clearly 6 inch tall <laughs> yeah the buildings were 6 inches tall the People would, however big people are, and then the monster was being reprojected in the background, so it was kind of difficult to get any kind of sense of scale. And there was usually close-ups of its tail destroying buildings, but without the rest of it in shot sometimes, which yeah. also kind of threw my uh, perspective off as well. Yeah, it was hard to get a sense of how big this thing was. You'd assume just as big as a Godzilla, yeah. but who knows. They also mentioned at this point that... Um, Careful, he's heading for a well-known Korean landmark. But yeah, he didn't say didn't what that me. was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't specify. So if anybody knows what that Korean landmark is, um, please think, please write in and let us know. I think they mentioned it later, possibly. Oh, they did mention something about a um, pavilion of the moon, yeah. is what I heard. Is that what they were referring to earlier, when they said a Maybe. landmark? I don't know what a pavilion of the moon is. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. No. But it was at this point that the young Gary sort of again takes on a Godzilla uh, technique of where in Godzilla he would head for a nuclear power plant and eat all of the atomic energy. Young Gary is a bit more old school. He went for a, an oil refinery and started drinking the oil yeah. and eating the gasoline. Yeah. And our little hero Icho notices this and he thinks he thinks he can he can figure out the weakness of the monster. Probably one of the best. For, parts of the film where he shines the his little light ray on young Gary and young Gary starts behaving quite oddly mm. I'm not sure what was going on here he was sort of crouching he was doing a jig he was having some, oh, some yeah. medical problems he was just stumbling about um, but it was nice that the uh, the light ray from the beginning came full circle yeah. and made its way back in. It's actually a surprising attention to detail that they brought that back. Yeah, I think the idea was that he was being made itchy by the light ray, so he looked like he was dancing. Yeah, but th- this is this is where we started to get a little bit of sympathy for young Gary, even though he was a terrifying monster that was killing people. On mass, he also did like to dance, which we can all relate to. It reminds me of another part from the when it was the end of the world. We got a little um, scene where people were in a nightclub. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were dancing like people horrendously, like, like maybe people did in the sixties. I don't know, and pouring beer over each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was just their way of indicating the the end of the world and how. Um, how decadent that would be yeah. is people doing weird like 60s um, surf rock dancing and pouring beer over themselves mm. that is yeah. and to be fair not a lot of Godzilla films show what people do when they think they're going to get crushed 
they don't show those people at all. So at least it's made an effort to show people thinking it was their last day on Earth. So a group of businessmen were stuffing their faces. Yeah. Uh, people were going mad in a nightclub, probably shagging and throwing beer on each other. <laughs> you know. Doing whatever they could. It's nice to see what people get up to, the little people get up to, when a giant monster is smashing through a city. And you would, I guess you would. Yeah. So yeah, this, this eventually leads to the scientists figuring out that to uh, in order to take care of young Gary, they need to manufacture some kind of ammonia solution, an ammonia-type powder, which they drop on him from a helicopter. He kind of falls over on a riverbank, and it sort of looks like he shit himself. He's just laying by the river with lots of blood coming out of his ass. Yeah. And it's this point we all feel quite sorry for young Gary, because he's... He's been made to bleed out of the arse into a river by by this ammonia powder, <laughs> and um, as the kid the kid says, you know, I don't want you to kill him. No, I just want you to to render him <laughs> sort of incontinent by the riverside <laughs> um, while, while, we, while we rebuild um, the rest of of Korea. <laughs> so yes, by the end, the little the little kid thinks, you know, I'd actually liked young Gary. He was good. He was a good dancer. He killed quite a lot of people, probably. It's all right now. We've we sorted him out. He could dance. So there you go. Pretty, pretty, I think pretty much young Gary, a carbon copy of, of Godzilla. Uh, they didn't really change the design of the creature. They just put a horn on him, <laughs> which lit up sometimes. Instead of atomic breath, he just had more traditional fire breathing. You could pretty much see yeah. the thing inside of his throat that was spouting out the fire, which is well, interesting. Well, I like to think they had a version of the monster that was just a blowtorch with a, like a rubber skin on it. Yeah. And someone was just pressing a button at the back and <laughs> it's like a novelty lighter you could buy maybe at the time. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was very similar to Godzilla in, in many ways. The plot was very similar to Godzilla in many ways. Mm. Very low budget. A good, bad movie. What were your overall thoughts on Young Game? Yeah, it was good. There was some, yeah, some ridiculous dancing. <laughs> um, some crazy set pieces. Yeah, tacky, some really tacky. Some really crazy camera movements as well. Yeah. If you noticed in the in some the boardroom, the... particularly when the generals were sitting around, the camera was swooping from character to character. They didn't really say anything until yeah. it got to the end, and then one guy at the end would be like, "Well, I think we should chuck a bomb on this thing, and that's my <laughs> military opinion. If you want it," and then the other person would say, "Well, that's a very." clear of you to give your military opinion yeah it was very uh, <laughs> some of the panning was off <laughs> it was very clunky exposition but yeah the, the camera movements in this boardroom were, were wild and all, all over the place so. but yeah that's Young Gary so uh, so next up we have a pretty infamous film called Paul Gasari now the background of this film is probably more interesting than the film itself and the plot of the film itself <laughs> but uh, for those of you who don't know Polgasari was made by the North Korean government in the 80s and uh, you may be familiar with Kim Jong-il probably best known for his uh, performance in Team America but he was also uh, quite high up in the government in the 80s before he was the president of North Korea this was still when his father was in charge Kim Jong-sun Kim Jong-il at the time was actually just in charge of the um, state-sponsored film company and media sort of uh, department. So he was in charge of making films. And Kim Jong-il actually loved films, especially American films. He loved Godzilla. He loved Rambo and stuff like that. And he had a, mm. a bootleg collection because you actually weren't allowed to watch any Western films in North Korea at the time, but he was allowed to. Mm. So eventually you got the reins of the uh, the film, state-sponsored film production 
department. And uh, he he wanted to make some films, but he didn't think really the North Korean um, crews and directors were up to it. So he did what, what any normal person would do. He, he found the best director in South Korea and he kidnapped him. And he kidnapped his wife. In fact, he kidnapped his wife first <laughs> so that his wife, his, her husband will come looking for him. Uh, and then they kidnapped him as well. And they brought them both to North Korea and put them in a prison camp until they agreed to make uh, propaganda films for North Korea. So they did. They did actually quite a few. They were kidnapped in 1978. Made a few films. By the time we got to 1985, that's when they made Polgasari. Interestingly enough, after they made Polgasari, they escaped from the North Korean government um, when they were taking Polgasari to a European film festival. So in actual fact... The film was only out for a year when they escaped and Kim Jong-il decided to ban Polgasari as well as every other film that they had made because they were traitors. Oh. So he put a lot of money and time into making this film and then immediately banned it because <laughs> he looked like an idiot because these, these people had escaped the, the government and defected to America. So Polgasari in North Korea probably not as popular as it has been in the rest of the world because yeah. they weren't really able to see it yeah. for a long time but uh, we were able to see it and we did see it and uh, what, what were your first impressions of Polgasari? Yeah it was really good um, I really like the music hit me in doing the first scene it sounded a bit like The that. Exorcist or something yeah, like that yeah that was quite noticeably interesting it was quite majestic <laughs> like the kind of all the buildings and the the dress yeah. and the, the king and everything. Well, this is something that um, people probably wouldn't expect from a kaiju film, but this was a period piece. Yeah. When, you can't possibly say, but sort of samurai times, I would call yeah, it. That, yeah. Whenever that was. They're that talking was about forges and... Um, smithing. Like, smithing. Blacksmithing is yeah. big, big in this film, yeah. So for whatever reason, Kim Jong-il decided to, to set this film in the old, the good old days of North Korea, only before communism. It's weird because you do have this score, which is not bad, actually. It's, it's a synth score. It's a, it's a score from 1985 for a film set probably in 1785 <laughs> or 1685. It's, it's kind of weird, but I, I like the kind of um, the, the contrast of that was, was pretty good. But yeah, we it is, I think straight away, I felt like I was watching Seven Samurai or, or you know some sort of Kurosawa film because we were just straight away in a village with people very energetically blacksmithing it was very kurosawa yeah it is it's sort of it's a very um very dumbed down sort of kurosawa film um i'm guessing kim jong-il was a fan of, of him as well but um yeah. yeah we open in a village now what i was confused all the way through and it will come up a few times probably is this is a propaganda film mm. made by a communist government yeah but i struggled to figure out what they were trying to really get across for most of the film. I mean, it's from the perspective of the working class and the yeah. farmers, which I suppose they wanted them to be the heroes. I definitely got the whole peasants uh, revolt I kind but of They're thing, also revolting but... against the government. Yeah. Who I suppose are an imperial government, the, the mm. king and stuff. But It's kind of like this royalty thing. It, it, I mean, straight away, ten minutes in, I was thinking, oh, the governments are bad. Yeah. They're really shit. Like, we should all rise up against them. But you wouldn't want people in North Korea to think that. So no. I, I, I didn't really quite understand that. It, shift, it was very sporadic, the, the propaganda, whatever they were trying to get across, kind of shifted quite a few times. But yeah, it is set in, in a village with loads of peasants and farmers that the, 
the archetypal kind of working class of of, of the countryside, and uh, then the government or the state, however you want to represent them, turn up and, and basically start sort of enslaving everyone, beating everyone, in, imprisoning everyone. Couldn't really figure out why. I think they were supplying bandits in the hills or they were making weapons and they yeah, should have been farming. There like, was a shortage of farming tools or something. Uh, I, I couldn't really figure it out, but I'm assuming they were being too communist and that was, you know, they were trying to do too much farming yeah. and too much agriculture. But they, they enslave this old, this old blacksmith guy and just before he dies, he grabs basically some rice and some shit in his prison cell and rolls it into a ball and that, is how Polgasari is created <laughs> in a very strange way. And it started off like human sized and then Sort of, yeah. It is interesting and I'm assuming it's had a much bigger budget than Young Gary yeah. because it was made by the government and that's a pretty <laughs> big budget. But it did start off as a sort of a little yeah, it started off as a three foot tall creature, like a little dog, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And it must have gone through about seven or eight different sizes before it got to kaiju size you would expect hmm. it to be. I should mention as well, the uh, the effects in this were really good because Kim Jong-il also managed to get uh, the people from Toho uh, to come and do the special effects. Toho being the people that created the Godzilla effects and the Godzilla suits. He tricked them into, into doing the special effects <laughs> by telling them he was making a film in China and so they got on a plane and then the plane didn't land in China it landed in North Korea <laughs> and they realised that something weird was going on but they were there then so they just decided to do it anyway so yeah. the effects in this film are, are, are really good and better than Young Gary because they are done by Toho who, who did the Godzilla effects and they know what they're doing mm. so I don't, you can't fault the effects or the direction in Polgasari because of that Yeah, he got the best uh, personnel he could like he said there wasn't then there wasn't the talent and in North Korea, he had to get some talent from South Korea and Japan and stuff. So yeah, it's definitely a lot, of, a lot of talent and skill behind the film. It's just a weird plot, mainly. Mm. Yeah, straight away we establish that um, Paul Gasari, in one of my favourite quotes of the film, it likes metal. <laughs> <laughs> he eats swords. <laughs> he loves metal and iron, and this is based on a, on a, on a, a North Korean folklore tale that Paul Gasari is an actual folklore thing that eats iron mm. but they straight away established that they was going to eat your swords and your needle and thread initially yeah. <laughs> and uh, and all those sorts of things so that struck me straight away as a pretty weird um, characteristic for a monster to eat metal yeah not necessarily attack anyone at least no. initially it just wants to eat all your metal <laughs> weird again maybe some sort of propaganda message I wasn't getting <laughs> It seemed quite pacifist in a way because it kept eating all the weapons so people couldn't fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's Pogasari, he's, he's a good guy. So next, as far as I can remember, the either the government moved in a lot more or perhaps the film switched to some sort of fortress place because mm. there was all of a sudden a lot more people. There were some really great hats in this film. Uh, you might have noticed the one guy that had a sort of a mortarboard type hat but with some... Uh, like beaded curtains hanging off the front, yeah. which I thought was great. And then his, cool. his general had some sort of weird um, Viking type hat. There's a really funny scene where they were smacking an old woman in the shins repeatedly. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure why. Perhaps uh, they thought it would 
it wouldn't be gentlemanly to hit a woman anywhere else. So they just they had a big bat and they were smacking her in the shins so that she would give up some information about. Yeah. Her. Because some of the blacksmiths had gone up into the hills now, hadn't they, to uh, to join forces with the bandits and they were planning mm. to come back down and take over the government, yeah. take over the city, uh, teaming yeah. up. Yeah, and by this point, Polgasari, they keep feeding him the swords and stuff, like you say, and the weapons. Ironically, they have to give all their weapons to this monster so that he can be their weapon, but now they won't have anything to fight with. Yeah. That was a bit weird. I think they... Because they're blacksmiths, they could make stuff, way more stuff anyway, so it didn't really matter, I guess. What happens next is that they set a trap for Polgasari by um, kidnapping the blacksmith's daughter, and then they kind of trap him in a massive cage. Hmm. And sort of Wicker Man-esque, they set fire to it, and they all think that they've killed Paul Gasari. But he came out of it sort of red and molten, which reminded me of uh, of kind of molten Godzilla from the mid-90s, but he had to dip himself in the water like a sword. Did you get that? Ah, yeah. yeah. He was heated up, and he was metal, and then he was cooled again. Uh, see. So that's what they did there. But then they started pulling out all of this. It, it got really. Um, I felt it got really historically inaccurate really quickly because they appeared to pull out all this modern artillery, these sort of missiles. They started firing missiles at him and they were just like bouncing off of him and not doing anything, which mm. was quite amusing. Which I thought they'd already established that, that that would have happened, but they kept doing it anyway. And then later they developed this weapon that they said could destroy 104 Pulgasaris. <laughs> <laughs> or, no, they said something like even 104 Pulgasaris couldn't... Yeah. Or something along those lines. This was this big cannon, I was like, it? such a strange, peculiar number. Well, it's a very specific number of Pulgasaris, <laughs> yeah. considering they couldn't even kill one. Yeah. Uh, the 104 would have been <laughs> fine once they got this cannon loaded up. But uh, this cannon seemed to be some sort of very modern um, missile launcher. Mm. Um, that they, well, they actually also said it would turn a mountain into ash. Yeah. And then immediately they fired something at a mountain and it just made a little puff of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought they set themselves up for a fall. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, they got these big cannons. They started launching these things at Polgasari. They thought they could kill it. They thought they could kill 104. But guess what? They didn't. No. And all the while, this um, this, this governor guy... He didn't really have much dialogue. He just kept going, mmm, <laughs> That's all he ever really did. Yeah. He, evil uh, cackling and evil... Um, probably with, some more crazy panning as well. Across that. Probably, yes. <laughs> but I, I thought the weirdest thing about this film was the, kind of the third act because the object of the whole film is to get Poldasari and the peasants to defeat the bad government and the bad imperial people and they do that and mm. the film carries on for about another 20 minutes yeah because all of a sudden um Polgasari is a threat to the farming people yeah now if this is your propaganda film where where Polgasari is a tool of the proletariat and the farmers then it makes no sense at all for him to all of a sudden turn on them it's just completely flipped the other way yeah it? So the idea being that the farmers represent the sort of normal working people of North Korea and the government represent the old monarchy, then what, what is Polgasari meant to represent? Capitalist, metal-munching monster? Yeah. I don't know what the point of that was. It kind of undermined the rest of the film because I thought, I thought the idea was that Polgasari was a tool of the, of the communist in the wake of yeah, class. And then he just kind of turned on them. I don't know what happened. Slightly disappointed that it kind of undermined the whole... Yeah, like you said, the whole being on the side of the working class. And then they couldn't kill him, he was invincible, and then the woman uh, 
the blacksmith's daughter just says, Oh, poor Castari, I'd like it if you could leave this world now. And he just shatters and turns to dust. Yeah. And then little Pogasari comes back and then she sheds a tear. That's the end. Some bit where they that? got wrapped up in a curtain and then quickly stomped on. Oh, that was the governor. It. Yeah, yeah. He was being ch- he was in his mansion and Polbasari was smashing it from the outside. So he thought, in order to protect himself, he'd wrap himself in a yellow curtain. Yeah, that didn't, didn't work. That was yeah. a strange scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I did like about Polbasari, I mean, it's obviously a much better made film than Young Gary and a much bigger budget, but. I thought Polgasari the monster looked really good. Yeah, it did, yeah. It was like a heavy metal bull. Mm. It could have been on a like a Judas Priest album cover or something, it looked badass. Yeah. And he all these shots of him stomping towards a city just looking like a badass heavy metal bull about to kick the shit out of all these uh, people in silly hats. Yeah. That's the film in a nutshell really. I could definitely take Polgasari more seriously than young guy in terms of the monster yeah. the way later he looked better he was made of metal uh, he had all these cool he didn't have any I know speed didn't have any powers but he was invincible which is a good power mm-hmm. and he was able to eat metal and explosives and weapons and become more powerful so he was like a living weapon but massive yeah oh it was a good idea good design yeah a lot of people talk about Polgasari as being a bad film and I suppose it is but I think that's a really good creature and I kind of wish that it, that creature had been created by someone else so we could have got more mm. Polgasari films but we yeah. can't because owned by North Korea I suppose <laughs> you're not allowed to do that. Your overall thoughts on Polgasari then? What did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it had some uh, interesting themes the whole sort of working class versus the imperial thing that we talked about. Mm. Um but like you said, I was a bit disappointed where it's the Pogostari started turning on the working class and it kind of <laughs> threw my perspective of everything. Yeah. But yeah, Pogostari as an actual monster was yeah. really cool. Um, but I think better appreciated taking the whole political agenda out of it. Yeah. If you didn't know it was made by communist state government, you probably would enjoy it more, not trying to constantly figure out what the political agenda is. Yeah. You just enjoy a big monster smashing stuff up, mm. which is what kaiju should be. I think the narrative was generally better than Yungari. I was going to say the dialogue was probably better, but that was probably helped by the fact that we watched it in Korean and yeah. it wasn't dubbed. Um, yeah, so, so for a... for listeners like that, you can you can watch Yungari and Polgasari both for free on YouTube, but Yungari is dubbed and Polgasari is uh, subtitled. And I always think that that, that bad films are made so much badder or better by having some dubbing having some Americans do yeah. the funny voices on the top so I think Polgasari would have been a lot funnier and cheesier if I had been dubbed might have liked it even more again but um, I think it was ambitious yeah and I think it's worth noting that both films cash in on the success and popularity of Godzilla except Polgasari was 30 years late <laughs> so, <laughs> North Korea being the kind of um, insular State um, didn't get round to knocking off Godzilla for 30 years, but it was well timed with the the film that Toho released in 1984, The Return of Godzilla, and apparently Kim Jong Il claimed that he was um, he was basing it on that film, mm. not any of the other 15 Godzilla films that have come before. Yeah, so, are you going to argue with Kim Jong Il? No, can't anymore. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. But hopefully Kim Jong Un will make his own Polgasari 
or something similar one day, especially now that the country's becoming be more, more friendly, more open to, to Western influences. Hopefully, yeah. again, I think it's time for another Polgasari or, or something similar. Or another Young Gary. Actually, looking it up, they did remake Young Gary in the late 90s, which we haven't seen, but it looked a bit more serious, which I'm not up for. So, mm. so there is Young Gary and Polgasari, both available to watch on YouTube, both bad films in the best possible way. If you did like either of these films, if you've watched them or you like the sound of them, obviously we would recommend um, the original Godzilla, any of the Godzilla films really from the 50s and 60s, Godzilla vs. Hedera, that seemed um, quite uh, influential on both of these films as well. The Gamera films were the rival to Godzilla within Japan, they're, they're all really good as well. So yes, that has been our uh, Korean kaiju face-off, Young Gary versus Polgasari. Uh, Mark, who would you say uh, came off the better in this most recent Korean war? <laughs> <laughs> Polgasari, I suppose. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? I tend to agree, yeah, just because it was more original, more ambitious. Young Gary was great, but it was just a Godzilla rip-off, and there are loads of Godzilla films if you want to yeah. watch Godzilla films, so... Uh, yeah, I agree. Pogasari is the better bad film. It's slightly more insane, and it's a really interesting story, which I think everyone should read up on as well yeah. as watch the film. So yeah, that's been the very first episode of Schlock Tactics. Uh, if you would like to um, comment on any of either of these films, if you've seen them, let us know what you think. Uh, if you'd like to ask us any questions, you can do that. And that has been the first episode of Schlock Tactics. Uh, my name is Ash, and I'm joined by Mark. Hello. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll hope you catch you next time. Bye. Bye.